Merry Christmas to everybody. Well, our, our wives are going to be laughing this one down for a while. My wife is pretty sly. She's real sweet. Hey, I got you a gift. I said, you know, we agreed not to get each other something. We got a mattress topper. That's all we need, right? <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I said, oh, nice shirt. It's got, it's got pockets. Is it a coat or is it a shirt? <laughs> and I didn't know. She said it's a show. Shat what? A shacket. I was calling it a shoat. <laughs> it's a shacket. Shacket. That sounds kind of immoral, doesn't it? Oh, it did. Thank you. Gospel. So anyway, you guys got us. So we look forward to the picture afterwards. So this will be fun. All right. So uh, thankful to be here. Uh, to look at Matthew here on Christmas Day. Today we're going to look at our hero in history, our hero in history. I, I mentioned this last week, I kind of touched on it, thinking about this message as I was speaking, and we all love heroes, right? I, I'm not a big fan of the Marvel movies. Uh, I think to me, if you've seen one, you've seen them all, but we like a hero. We love a hero. We want somebody who's going to come in and save the day at the last minute. You know, Marvel, DC, Superman, Wonder Woman needs some clothes on. But heroes have been around as long as time. Even back to the Greeks, right? The Greek mythology. There's Hercules. He's pretty rough looking there. Hercules killing the Hydra with his, with his weapon there. We've always loved heroes. Heroes are a part of our existence because God has built within us the anticipation of the hero who would wrong all the rights. When I was a kid... Back in the 1980s, so this is dating myself, but I just love this show. This guy, the greatest American hero. And um, he doesn't really have the build for it, does it? I mean, he really was kind of like the, the office of hero chose him. He was out in the desert and some aliens landed and gave him this fancy red suit. And as long as he had the red suit on, he was able to be the hero, the greatest American hero. In the 1980s, you guys may remember this song uh, by Bonnie Tyler. It was uh, Bonnie Taylor. No, it was Bonnie Tyler. And the movie was Footloose back in 1984. I was in high school. And the name of the song is I Need a Hero. And it goes, where have all the good men gone and where are all the gods? Where is the streetwise Hercules to fight the rising odds? Isn't there a white knight upon a fiery steed? Late at night, I toss and turn and dream of what I need. I need a hero. I'm holding out for a hero till the end of the night. He's got to be strong, and he's got to be fast, and he's got to be fresh from the fight. I need a hero. I'm holding out for a hero till the morning light. He's got to be sure. He's got to be soon. And he's got to be larger than life. Larger than life. We need a hero. And today the point that I want to make is that Jesus, the Son of God, is history's hero. He came to save us from our sins. So we're going to read Matthew 1, 18 through 28. Now, as we consider last week's passage, Matthew 1, 1 through 17, we see Jesus' physical lineage, right? This was his descent as an earthly man, right? Paul mentions that in Romans chapter 1. As to his human side, as to his physical descent, he is a son of David, right? 
And so we saw that in Matthew's gospel last week, in Matthew 1, 1 through 17. So we see that he is, he's a man. He has a lineage. Well, this morning we're going to look at the fact that Matthew's going to teach us that he is, yes, he's man, but he's also the son of God. So oftentimes you read 18, 18 through 25 when they go, oh, this is about the birth of Jesus. Really, it's about the conception of Jesus and that he had a miraculous conception such that he is the son of God. Matthew 1, 18 through 25. And that word birth there really is, it's Genesis. This is the origin. Right? So if we think of the origin of Jesus Christ, what was that moment when he originated? It was that moment that Mary conceived by the Holy Spirit. And I was thinking about this morning as I was meditating on this. I was like, so, so Jesus had like nine months and he was just hanging out? And I was trying to imagine, okay, the, the Father and the Son, they've been eternally... In, in fellowship together, and, and the Son is sent into the world. He, he wasn't sent into the world that moment that, that he came out the womb as Jesus of Nazareth. No, he, he was conceived, he was in the womb. I, I think that kind of fries our wires to think about that. I, mean, I guess he had a lot of time to meditate. Nine months in Mary's womb. This is how the genesis, the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. There was this betrothal period, about a year long. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. Really, the word there is righteous. The NIV kind of expounds on that. And a person who is righteous is going to be faithful to the law. And he's faithful to the law in the way that he deals with Mary. Right? And you may say, oh, he wasn't faithful because she should have been put to death, right? Because there was some kind of immorality. What does God desire? Mercy. Justice. Because Joseph, her husband, was righteous and did not, did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly, right? So during that year of betrothal, if you wanted to break things off, there had to be a writ of divorce, okay? You couldn't say, you know, give me the ring back. This is over with. No, it was, it was a legal contract in place there. Divorce had to be written. Verse 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord. Now, which angel was that? We taught on angels this past Wednesday, right? We're talking about Michael and Gabriel and Lo, the angel of the Lord. I have to say that every Christmas. Lo is not an angel. But the angel of the Lord is another angel. So there's Gabriel and Michael. Gabriel is the angel that came to Mary. So most likely it was Gabriel, but we don't know. Okay, so the Lord, uh, the angel appears to, to Joseph and says, Joseph, son of David. Again, Matthew is driving home that fact that, that, that Jesus is the lineage of David. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Now, we're going to see this throughout Matthew. There's this use of the Old Testament in Matthew, because Matthew is speaking to a Jewish audience, and, and he wants to show us that, you know, Jesus was, is not plan B, right? All along, God had planned the Messiah before the foundation of the world, and the scriptures in the Old Testament point towards Jesus Christ. And we'll talk more about this as we go forward. How is it that Matthew uses the Old Testament in the New? Okay, I'm going to leave it there for now. 
But we know the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. So, Christmas time is here. This may or may not be one of your favorite Christmas uh, cartoons. It's one of mine. And uh, I really like the tune from this um, particular section. Christmas time is here, happiness and cheer, fun for all that children call their favorite time of year. Snowflakes in the air, carols everywhere, olden times and ancient rhymes of love and dreams to share. Sleigh bells in the air, beauty everywhere, youth tied by the fireside, and joyful memories there. Christmas time is here. We'll be drawing near, oh, that we could always see such spirit through the year. We love the Christmas season. I love the Christmas season. I love, you know, I love the, the theological aspect of Christmas, but I'm just going to, I love the cultural aspect. Like, I love the fact that we have the opportunity for our wives to give us these shirts, right? <laughs> this is great. Christmas is a wonderful time of the year, right? And I don't know, I mean, some of you guys, you guys have kids, and I don't know what your household is like if you opened up presents, but I remember as a kid opening up the presents. So had four kids in the household, and, you know, when it was all done, it was just this mess of wrapping paper, right? And, and my dad and mom were sitting there on the couch in semi-comatose state, right? You're just totally, it was all this fun, and it, it's kind of climaxes, and there's paper everywhere, there's, you know, toys everywhere, the kids are wired on candy, and, and the parents are just exhausted. At Christmas time, people, believe it or not, struggle with depression. People really struggle with the blues at Christmas time. I, I, I can, you know, last week we had, what, the, the least, that one day with the least amount of daylight, right, that winter solstice. So if you have seasonal affective disorder, like I have, I think I have, I'm on the spectrum someplace, okay? Like I have, I feel down in the wintertime, right? People struggle with depression at Christmas time, right? Because Like, we build Christmas up. Like, Christmas is supposed to be this thing that's going to, like, make me happy for the entire year. And people make these plans to get together with family and friends, and they buy presents, and they cook. And then they get together, and it's just not what they wanted it to be, and it doesn't meet their expectations. Built up, built up, built up, and the air is let out of the balloon. And so back to the cartoon of Christmas, Charlie Brown. If you guys can read that or not, he says, I just don't understand Christmas, I guess. I like getting presents and sending Christmas cards, decorating trees and all that, but I'm I'm still not happy. I always end up feeling depressed. Right? That's very real for some people. Very real. And and that depression can lead to despair that, that goes on into the wintertime. I think this is one of the reasons why, one of the reasons why we like, okay, I'm speaking for myself here, and I'm not ashamed to say that I like watching a cheesy Christmas movie. I like the Hallmark Channel just fine. And I don't sit there and watch it every night, but if my wife and I are sitting together having a meal and we're like, oh, let's watch some TV, let's watch one of those Hallmark shows, I love it because I can kind of just like, I could tell her exactly what's going to happen next. Because it's the same thing every time, right? Right? Because 
In these Hallmark shows, you've got like, so you've got a man and a woman, right? And there's some kind of a situation going on in the life of the woman, and she doesn't know how it's going to work out. And this man enters into the scene, and at first they don't get along. They kind of irritate each other, but then he starts you know, he starts proving that he's a, a good guy, and she starts to like him, right? And, and they're like, oh, this is going to work out, and it looks like he's going to be the hero of the movie, but then something happens. There's a, a conflict, and all of a sudden, they have this part, this, they, they can't be together. But then they realize the truth, and then they come back together, right? And it's the end, right? At the end, everything works out. The people who are supposed to get, be together are together. There's actually... A lot written about Hallmark Christmas movies. One NBC, one NBC article says this, and the question is, is why it feels good to watch Hallmark holiday movies? Now, I know some of you guys are like, no, no, no. But maybe secretly you kind of understand this. Because this is a popular thing. Why it feels good to watch Hallmark holiday movies. And this one writer says, for starters, seeing familiar traditions and tropes played out on the screen, and knowing it's all going to turn out okay in the end feels good mentally. The human brain loves patterns and predictability. It's cognitively rewarding. Those predictable storylines that draw on the standard patterns that we recognize from fairy tales offer comfort by presenting life as simple and moralistic, which can serve as much-needed break from the complexity of real-life holiday chaos. They continue... As for the absence of cinematic wow, right? It's like, they're not the best actors, you know? It's like the plot, like, you know, okay, you know how it's going to turn out, but you still like it. You're still drawn to it. There's like this, and, and because of what's going on, like there, there's this suspended disbelief. While few of us are going to switch places with a doppelganger, or doppelganger, however you say it, save Christmas for ourselves or somebody else, marry a prince or a princess, fall for a person who turns out to be a billionaire, or find true love in the span of an hour. Hallmark movies still allow us to experience the emotions associated with social validation, the yearning for connection, compassion, and empathy. The movies provide simplistic solutions to all those stressors that the holidays can bring, family conflict, isolation, financial pressure. The emotions we experience along with the protagonists trigger a powerful response. One that the author says actually makes us feel more optimistic and resilient, which can help offset stress and depression, etc. So, so we like to place ourselves into the movie. We like to escape. We like to imagine that we're that hero or that heroine and that our lives are going to turn out just like theirs. If you're a romantic, that you're going to have that romance one day. If you long to be the hero that's longed for, then you become that hero. We long for a good ending. We long for that resolution of the conflict. We long for a hero. Well, today as we look at this passage, I just want to bring up two points that point to Jesus Christ being the hero of history. And as we celebrate Christmas, We have to understand that Christmas celebrates the entrance of the ultimate hero, Jesus Christ, into human history. And we see this in verses 18 and 20. And these are the verses that talk about uh, the fact that Mary was a virgin when she conceived Jesus. It's, It's mentioned twice in the text. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. 
And then again, the angel that came to Joseph confirmed this, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a part of our, our doctrinal statement. Does the person have to believe and understand the virgin birth to become a Christian? I don't think so. I don't think I ever gave it a thought before I became a Christian. But I think you need to embrace it eventually, okay? Because it's what God's Word says. And again, the reason it's so important for Matthew to bring up the way that Jesus was conceived here is because he's already shown us that Jesus is from the lineage of David as to his physical descent. But now, guess what? He is the Son of God. He is all that the Messiah should be. Jesus Christ is the perfect hero because he is perfect God and he is perfect man. Now, as I was studying this, certainly I thought about Jason and and the messages um, uh, that he presented to us over the past month or so, right? Did an excellent job in the doctrine of Christ. And he talked about the divinity of Christ and the humanity of Christ. And here in the passage, one of the names of Jesus, right? There's two names that are given. One is Jesus, right? God saves, God will save us. And then Emmanuel, God with us. And we see here in verse 23, this name that's given to Jesus that tells us so much about his person and his mission, right? His person as being fully God and fully man. The nature of God's character and his eternal plan determine that he must come as the God-man. That's why Jesus had to be born of a virgin. And this incarnation of the Son of God is a mystery. How can one be fully God and fully man? Not less one than the other without mixture or confusion, right? Fully God and fully man. How can that be? Well, it's, it's a mystery. It's a miracle that Mary would conceive of the Holy Spirit. But the Bible is full of miracles. The Bible is a miraculous book. From a six-day ex nihilo creation to a worldwide flood to a woman giving birth in her 90s to the parting of the Red Sea to water from a rock, bread from heaven, the sun standing still, the sun moving backwards, miraculous victories in battle with giant walls tumbling down, the dead given life, men taken into the sky in a chariot of fire, and on and on and on. The Bible is the book of miracles, and this is a continuation of the miraculous working of God in the time and space continuum. And the miracles continue with Jesus as he lived on this earth, right? Lepers would be cleansed, the lame would walk, the blind would see, the dead would be raised to life, bread and fish multiplied, and on and on. We see, only God can perform such miracles. Jesus continued those miracles because why? Because he is God in the flesh. Jesus is fully God because only God could do what he did. Yet, the one born of Mary, I heard this question posed the other day, did Jesus have Mary's DNA? Who thinks about that stuff? I don't. I didn't until I thought I heard the question. But yeah, he had Mary's DNA. He had God's DNA as well. This one born of Mary was, in fact, born of Mary. This, is, this fascinates me. The day the creator of the universe was born, he was dependent upon his creation for life. Think about that. He had to have oxygen for his very first breath. Who created oxygen? God did. And he needed it to live. His adopted father, Joseph, most likely cut the umbilical cord. 
his mother held him. He had to be held by his mother. He, has to be, he had to be nursed by his mother. He had to be burped by his mother. He had to be changed by his mother. He had to grow in wisdom and stature. The living word of God had to learn Hebrew. He had to learn the alphabet so he could read the scrolls of the law and prophets. He felt pain, sadness, sorrow. He felt hungry, hunger and fatigue. The hero of history was fully man as well. So we see the mystery of the God-man is just that. It's a mystery. Something we'll never fully understand. But it's something we desperately need because we need a hero. So why did the hero of history have to be fully God and fully man? Well, that leads us to the next reason that we celebrate Christmas. Because as the God-man, only he could rescue us from the power and penalty of sin. Right? Christmas celebrates God's plan to rescue us from sin and death through our hero. So we celebrate. As perfect God and perfect man, the hero of history is perfectly suited to save us from our greatest enemies, sin and death. And so we see in the text there, the name given to the Son of God is Jesus. It's the same as Joshua in the Old Testament. And we think of deliverer, right? That God is the deliverer. In the Old Testament mind, deliverance many times, most of the time, was God's going to deliver us or save us from those people that have clubs and spears and arrows and are trying to kill us. That's the kind of deliverance they had in mind. right? And in the mind of the, the person reading Matthew's gospel, the Jewish mind, like when they saw the Messiah, they were thinking of a physical deliverer, one who would deliver them from the power of Rome. And so Matthew makes it clear here at the beginning This Messiah is a little bit different than you're expecting. Believe it or not, you're a sinner. And you need a Savior to deliver you from the penalty of sin. And so his name is God saves. He will save his people from what? From their sins. Now you know as well as I do, when we attempt to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, especially in this context, right? They have, there's so many earthly temporal issues that are involved, right? I I need a savior. I need to deliver. I need somebody who's going to help me with this problem, right? My wallet is empty. I either don't have work or work is killing me. My marriage is a mess, I need somebody to save me from a messy marriage. I need somebody to save me as I try to raise my difficult children. I need somebody to save me from the consequences of bad health. I need to save somebody to save me from destructive dependence. Right? These are real issues that need to be dealt with. But the primary concern of Matthew with our Savior Jesus Christ is that our greatest problem is sin and that we need to be delivered from our sins. She will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So, so why did Jesus Christ have to be fully God and fully man? So he could save us from our sins. Well, well how, how is the Son of God, fully God, fully man, how is he best suited? We have to realize how powerful sin is. I mean, I think we get that as we see it at work in our lives. And we've read a lot about it in the context that we're in. 
Sin is powerful. Sin leads to death, both physically and spiritually. Sin breaks our relationship with God. Sin makes us an enemy of God. Sin stirs up God's wrath against us. Sin enslaves us to self-destruction. All the evil in the world, all the suffering and pain in the world, all the sorrow in the world is caused by sin. So, so what do we need to be saved from? The power and the penalty of sin. Now, Jesus, as the God-man, is best suited to be the hero of history because he can deliver us from our sins. How does Jesus do that? Well, he does it because he is fully man, right? Our deliverer had to be fully man because the man had to die as our substitute. Right? In God's eternal plan, the wages of sin is death. And there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood. There had to be a sacrifice offered to take care of our sin problem, to deliver us from our sins. So a human being, a man like us, had to be our substitute. But the problem is this. There's a lot of people in the world. There's a lot of sin in the world. Every sin deserves death. So multiply your sin struggle times the number of people in the world. That's a huge problem. Ergo, the, the, the Son of God, our Deliverer, had to be fully God. Because only God can take away the sins of the world. Jesus is no ordinary person. He is the Son of God, fully God, fully man. And as such, the sacrifice of his life would be sufficient to remove the sins of the world, to satisfy God's wrath, to free those enslaved to sin, and reconcile God to man. Only Jesus Christ, the Son of God, could accomplish this. Death had to be defeated. A person had to die to defeat death. See, the Bible is full of paradoxes. Death had to be defeated by death. This is Paul's point as he writes to the church at Colossae. This beautiful passage. The power of sin is death. Right When you were dead in your sins, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And then having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made public spectacle of them, triumphing, triumphing over them by the cross. Right Every Every movie that has a superhero and it has this, this moment where the hero and the villain are in a standoff, right? And it looks like the villain's going to win. At some points in the movie, it looks, it looks like the hero's dead or almost dead, right? It looks like evil is going to overcome good. We've seen the movies. And it's no, difference, no different in the biblical narrative. That's why I think movies are the way they are because they follow the pattern of the Bible, The greatest battle which has ever been fought or will ever be fought was won by the hero of history, Jesus Christ, as he died. Yes, as he suffered and died. The day that Jesus died on the cross, right there, he was nailed to the cross. Satan, sin, and the forces of evil began to celebrate. But you know, their false victory only lasted, what, 72 hours, right? Because after 72 hours, after three days, Jesus was in the tomb, and the ground under the tomb began to quake, and the stone rolled away, and Jesus came out of the tomb, raised from the dead in glorious light, showing that he had defeated sin and death. 
Because he's God in the flesh. He never sinned. Death had no hold on Jesus. And when he rose from the dead, no longer would humanity need to fear death because Jesus Christ is victorious. That's why the, the song that we sing every Christmas, Good Christian Men Rejoice, right? Somebody asked me last week, you really like that song? We sang it last week, didn't we? I said, yeah, I like the song, Good Christian Men Rejoice. Good Christian Men Rejoice with heart and soul and voice. Now you need not fear the grave. Peace, peace, Jesus Christ was born to save. Calls you one and calls you all to gain his everlasting hall. Christ was born to save. Christ was born to save. She will give birth to a son and you will give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. What does this mean for you? Well, look again on the room. I think most of you understand this, that Jesus' victory over sin and death can be your victory as well if you simply believe, right? That's the beauty of the Christian faith. It's not by works. You don't earn the work of the hero by what you do. How pathetic is that? No, God has ordained that it's by faith that we simply believe that the Son of God did, in fact, rise from the dead on the third day. If you believe that in your heart, if you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you can only do that by the Spirit, then you will be saved. Jesus says in John chapter 5, 24, he says, Truly, truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from what? From death to life. Because Jesus crossed over from death to life. Our hero won the victory. That victory is ours if we just believe. Sounds like a Christmas song, doesn't it? Jesus, the Son of God, history's hero, came to save us from our sins. And that's the message that the world needs to hear. That is so what the world needs to hear. And maybe you'll be speaking with somebody later on today who needs to hear that message. Well, you guys understand that. But one last point as I close is that Christmas celebrates God's abiding presence in our lives. Right? That name that we already talked about, Emmanuel, God with us. Right? The moment we place our faith in Jesus Christ, God is with us in his spirit. He lives within us. He dwells within us. And so, yeah, God is concerned about these issues. He does care about the things that are troubling us in our life. And he's with us to do that, to take care of those things for his glory as he works through what Christ has done on the cross. One of my favorite passages in the Old Testament in the Psalms is Psalm 68 because this is such a great uh, and beautiful um, picture of God. Praise be to the Lord God our Savior who daily bears our burdens. Our God is a God who saves from the Lord comes escape from death, right? So, so David is, well, the writer of the psalm, I can't even remember who wrote the psalm, but the, the writer of the psalm here is saying that from God comes deliverance. God is our Savior. He saves us from physical danger. He will also save us from spiritual danger. And how appropriate is this to the work of Jesus Christ? He is our Savior. He is the sovereign Lord. From him comes escape from death. We need that, don't we? We need to know that we have escaped death because that is the hope of the Christian life. But what do we also need to know? He daily bears our burdens, right? This one is who is powerful to save daily. What a beautiful truth. I can remember one point in our life we were going through so many trials. 
Schools. When I was in seminary, it was, it was just a hard time. I wrote down this verse, stuck it on our mirror. That was when we all shared the same bathroom. But everybody had to look at it. Those were the days. But every day we walked in, he daily bears our burdens. God's abiding presence through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Amen? God is the hero of history. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, the Christmas time. We celebrate the incarnation of Jesus Christ. So thankful um, that you loved enough to come into the world, setting aside um, heaven and fellowship with the Father. You sent the Son to live among us, to live a sinless life, only to die on the cross, but to rise victoriously. We thank you for the great gift that Jesus Christ is. We thank you that he saves. In his name we pray. Amen.